Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For forty days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the devil, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. German theologian Frederick Beekner once said that people come to church because they want to believe that what is said is true. They want to rejoice in it themselves. Because after all, a person's favorite subject is himself. Did you hear about the father that took his two-year-old son to the grocery store? They hadn't been in there more than two minutes when the little boy began to reach up on the shelves and pull everything off of it. The father scrambled and put every item back on the shelf, and as he did it, he said, Calm yourself, Ronnie. As soon as he had everything back on the shelf, he began down the aisle. A little boy escaped from him and went up and started hitting customers. The father ran up and got him and said, Calm yourself, Ronnie. And finally, they're in the checkout line, and the little boy reaches up and he pulls a whole display of candy down. And the father's saying, Calm yourself, Ronnie. By this time, a woman who had seen everything said to him, that little boy's a hellion. You ought to beat his butt. And all you do is say, calm yourself, Ronnie. All you do is say to him, calm yourself, Ronnie. The father said, you don't understand. His name's Billy. I'm Ronnie. (laughs) (laughs) I want you to come back with me to the text we've been in for several weeks. Ezekiel 28 Because I think what we have there is something very therapeutic. Someone has said anyone who preaches ought to be praying and preparing so that God by His Spirit will do something therapeutic in the life of every listener. The word therapeutic comes from the Greek word which means to serve. So really what is being discussed there is that the Word of God, the text of Scripture, can begin to serve the purposes of God in the life of the listener. 
And I believe that this text, that text we were in for two or three weeks, Ezekiel 28, is highly therapeutic. Last week we were asking some questions at the end of the sermon. Questions like, if God knew that Satan would uh, begin to do everything he could to undermine the purposes and will of God, why didn't God just send him to hell right away and lock him away? Why does God sentence him but doesn't carry out the sentence? Why does he put it off? How does a holy God allow a fallen angel and his cohorts to do all of the havoc that they do in this world? And then one other question. How can a good God, a God of love, allow his world to be so screwed up? Now, for years, people have been asking those questions, especially the last one. How could a good God allow this or that? How could a good God, a personal God, a God of love and justice, how could a God like that allow such wickedness to prevail? And over the years, there have been several answers. One answer by some is that there is no God. God is a figment a figment of our imagination. Karl Marx bought into that. He said that the concept of God was nucleated for one purpose, and that was to keep the oppressed oppressed and keep the oppressors in their position. There are others who say, no, there is a God, but the problem with God is that he can't do anything to fix the evil. He's incapable. He is in process. He's developing. And he's incapable at this point of eradicating evil. Now, that was Harold Kushner's view that he expounded in that bestseller, Why Do good, Bad Things Happen to Good People? So, perhaps there is no God. That's one answer. Perhaps there is a God, but he's weak. He's growing into his job. Then there's another answer given by people like Mary Baker Eddy, and that is that there is no evil. Evil is a phantasm. Evil is, is uh, not at all what it appears to be. It's an illusion. There is no evil. It just exists in our mind. Now, these are the people that hold their hand over a flame and say it's not hot. And there are a lot of people who think they're fruitcakes. They have burned hands. And there are many other answers, but there is one answer that the Bible gives that's far more realistic, far more honest, and it's that answer that I want to turn to this morning. Now, you may remember four weeks ago when we began the series, we talked about the fact that the Bible is, in many respects, like a puzzle. And there are pieces that need to be put together. And so, if, for instance, in the last two weeks, we've seen how Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 fit in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. But before we move on from this, I, I think it's important to recognize that there are other texts that fit in there as well, that inform us of what God is doing and what the purpose of life is. And I think the two texts that we've read this morning from Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 4 
are just those type of pieces. So let's dig into Luke 4. First of all, notice the answer. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. In the middle of World War II, Donald Gray Barnhouse preached a sermon on Matthew 19.26 where Jesus says, With God, all things are possible. And at the conclusion of his message, as was often the case, he'd stand in the front and people would come and, and give him certain comments, maybe ask some questions. And there was a little boy, young boy, teenager, who came up and with a little trepidation said, uh, Dr. Barnhouse... If all things are possible to God, why doesn't he just whack Hitler? I mean, if all things are possible to God, why doesn't he just smack him down? Now, that's the question that's been asked for centuries, millennia. If with God all things are possible, how does he allow the evil that he allows. It takes me back to a time in 1989 when Pat Robertson ran for president. You may remember that. A reporter said to him in a news conference, Dr. Robertson, I've read your book, one of them, in which you tell a story about praying away a hurricane from the coast of Virginia. Now let me ask you, if you can pray away a hurricane from the coast of Virginia, do you think that your prayerful pleadings can do the same thing with Congress? You know what Pat Robertson said? He said, oh no, a hurricane doesn't have a will. Congress has 535 wills. Now listen to what Luke's telling us. As soon as Jesus emerges from the water of baptism, the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. In the space of one paragraph, Jesus goes from hearing the affirmed will of his Father, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased, to going into the wilderness to be tempted by another will. Someone has said the problem with this world is not the scarcity of resources. The problem with this world is not the scarcity of labor or production or capital. The problem with this world is not population control. It's not gun control. It's not race relations. The problem with this world is not ethnic cleansing or poverty or communication. The problem with this world is the presence of more than one will. When Lucifer fell, he did so because he was exerting a will that was contrary to the will of God. Second, notice the illustration. And the devil took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. Now, in Greek, the words are even more striking. 
The Greek text says that Satan leads Jesus to a high place and shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, all of their power and all of their glory has been given to me, and I will give it to the one I will. Think of what he's saying. He's saying, I possess the kingdoms and the power and the glory. And note when he says this to Jesus. It is within the space of one paragraph, and that paragraph in Luke's gospel is all genealogy. So in the very next scene, after Jesus is baptized, Satan challenges him, and Satan says to him, I have the kingdoms and the power and the glory. If you will bow down to me, I will give all three to you, the kingdoms, the power, and the glory forever and ever. I love what someone has said. Satan is like a squatter with a shack on the corner of a great estate, and he says to the Lord of the manor, get off my grass. Jesus knows that. So look what Jesus does. He rebukes Satan by submitting himself to the will of his Father, and in doing so, he is reaffirming the seniority, the superiority, and the worth of his Father. If you look in the Matthew text, you'll see that Jesus, right after he leaves the wilderness of temptation, goes to the Mount of Olives and gathers a crowd and sits down and teaches them. And he teaches his disciples, when they're gathered together, how to pray. And that prayer is all about one will, the will of his Father. And if you notice in verse 13, verse 13 in every credible translation has a footnote. And in that footnote, it will say that later manuscripts add to the text. Jesus says, deliver us from the evil one, for thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, thine is the glory forever and ever. Do you see it? What Satan has said in the garden, or in the wilderness, that I have the kingdoms and the power and the glory. In the very next scene, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, and he ends that prayer with these words, Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory. You know why? Because Jesus is teaching his disciples, including us, that the secret of life is to will one will, and that's not Lucifer's will, and that's not your will. The secret of life is learning to will the will of the one who has in his control all the kingdoms and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Then third, notice the purpose. And Jesus answered Satan, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this, The God of this world, that is Satan, formerly known as Lucifer, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Is there anybody in this room that could say, yes, I used to be one who had a blinded mind? Jenny, <laughs> okay, I'm not calling you out. But you've admitted that. And Marty, I saw your hand. And I didn't put my hand up, but I could say, the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbeliever so that they are incapable of seeing the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the light of the gospel? The light of the gospel is Jesus Christ is Lord. And you see, Jesus knows Satan's tactics. He knows the plans of Lucifer. He knows that Lucifer's only goal in his existence is to gain the allegiance of everyone who's created in the image of God. His goal is to thwart the will and the purposes of God the Father. That's his only purpose in life. And so you say, how can God tolerate that? Why doesn't he run the curtain down? Why doesn't he rid the world of Satan and this competing will? What possible purpose could God have in allowing Satan and his demonic spirits to run free? Jesus answers that question in John 15, 5. And it's not a compliment. He says to his disciples, without me, you are nothing. You see, the purpose of human history is to show us that apart from Him, there is no life and there is no hope. The purpose of human history is to explore every thought, every imagination that stands in opposition to the will of God and to show how every thought and every imagination is completely impotent. Think of it. Before Lucifer fell, before he exerted his will, there was only one will in all of creation. Before Lucifer sinned, before he, he willed his own will, there was no judgment, there was no pain, there was no suffering. There was only one will. God's will. And it was willed every moment of eternity. In the late 19th century and early 20th century, there were people who thought that things were getting better and better. That man, given the right amount of time, could perfect himself. And then World War I hit. And then World War II came. And then the Holocaust came. And then the atomic bomb came. And then all manner of evil came. You think of it. In 20 years, if you go back in time 20 years, could you imagine the extent of depravity that we're experiencing in this world today? You look around this world. Every good thing, it seems, has become polluted and perverted. And if you're honest with yourself, when you look around this world today, it seems like God's a loser. 
Seems like Satan's winning. But nothing could be further from the truth. And Jesus proves it. Look at what he does. In the midst of a withering assault by Lucifer, Jesus not only endures, he conquers. How does he conquer? By willing one will. Not only that, he calls to himself a company of sinners and he equips them to do what he has done, to will one will, the will of his Father. You see, the purpose of God is greater than Lucifer. The purpose of God is greater than, than any will of any adversary. The purpose of God is to demonstrate to all of his creation that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, if he had executed Lucifer's sentence, if he had cast him into the pit before Genesis 1-2, how would any of us ever know that without Christ we are nothing? How would any of us have ever known the full extent of God's glory? How would any of us know the depth of God's own character? You see, the purpose of life is not crime and punishment. The purpose of life is not the law. The purpose of life is to demonstrate that there is only one who possesses the kingdom and the power and the glory, and that is the one who has chosen us, a company of sinners like you and me, to demonstrate to Lucifer and all of the demons and all of creation that God can do anything. He can make the dust praise him. It's to demonstrate to Lucifer that God has all of the power and all of the glory. You see, at the heart of God is the glory of God. And at the heart of the glory of God is one overriding reality. And that is God is a God of grace. And everything that Satan tries proves it. Your life proves it. My life proves it, that God in all of his glory and all of his power chooses to prove to the one who sinned first that while there may be many other wills, there is only one will that brings life. And that will it's God's will forever and ever. Amen.